God bless you today. It's always a joy to have you here. And, you know, your thousand dollars cannot reproduce until it enters into a covenant. Westboro Baptist Church will picket their funeral. You can put that thousand dollars. We will remind the living that you can still repent and obey. from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney, standing here with two beautiful daughters from heaven. (laughs) (laughs) This is straight from heaven. This is Delaney. She's the baby of the family, the spoiled one. Delaney, have anything to say to the audience? <laughs> she was a mute till she was 18. And then we have Cassidy here. She's the middle child. She says she was neglected through most of her life. It's Cassidy, any comment? Hello. It's been quite a while, my friends. Yes, Cassidy has hosted the shore before when I was stuck in jail and other places. Jail and Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Nice. There, yeah. there was a takeover, and Cassidy hosted for about, how about 20 minutes? No, shorter than that. I could have done the whole show, though. Let's, see, let's you see the difference between the two? You see? I love these girls and their sister in Sweden. Our love other you. ones. Thanks, you guys. Love, love you. you. Love you. Love you. All right. We praise the true and living God. He loves all of us, amazingly enough, for allowing us to participate in this, his ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. After the show last week, I was informed by Bishop Earl that uh, an important LDS announcement was going to come out within the next few days. Peggy Stack Fletcher of the Salt Lake Tribune reported on the announcement yesterday with the headline of her article saying, Mormon missions, colon, door-to-door approach is out, internet is in. Said Fletcher Stack, Stack Fletcher Quote, the LDS church is moving further into the digital age, unveiling plans to do less door-to-door missionary tracting and instead to do more social media networking to find potential converts in what was billed as a historic meeting Sunday. Everything they do that has not been done before is called historic. Mormon Apostle L. Tom Perry announced the Utah-based faith's largest missionary force ever, more than 70,000 strong. That's 70,000 young men and women full-time going out, knocking on doors, not knocking on doors so much anymore, but going out full-time for two years. It's amazing. And they'll tap online tools to help them connect with and teach their investigators. The world has changed, Perry said. The nature of missionary work must change if the Lord will accomplish his work. People today are often less willing to let strangers into their homes, he said. Their main points of contact with others is often via the internet. So it seems, according to Apostle Perry, that during the slower times of missionaries' days, like in the mornings, the LDS missionaries are now authorized to use the web. The article reads, quote, Mormon chapels, which typically have been locked during the week, will now be open so that missionaries can go there and give tours 
to interested outsiders and also use the Wi-Fi to receive and contact interested investigators to confirm appointments, access mormon.org, Facebook, blogs, emails, and text messages, end quote. This announcement was made from a meeting on campus at Brigham Young University where 173 newly called full-time mission presidents gathered there in the Marriott Center. One thing about Mormonism, they are, of course, organized, and I, I'll get my hair out of my eyes, organized, extremely progressive, and very uh, aggressive in their missional efforts. Um, we said this before, I was mocked for saying it, but in a non-literal sense, the LDS Church owns the internet. They really do. They know how to use it, and they will continue to use it uh, successfully. Uh, we also said, much to the chagrin of many, that they long to rule the world. I'm not sure if they will in the way they stand doctrinally. Uh, if they don't change their doctrines, I'm not sure it's possible with the internet kind of combating what they teach and believe. But if they're able to overcome their history in this information age, I suggest they're well on their way if this, if this ploy works. Uh, it's really an interesting development to, de to me, though. We know, pretty much know, that over the course of seven years on local TV in the state of Utah, we were able to become one of the most, if not the most recognized, Sandra Tanner is probably uh, far more ubiquitous, but we were more recognized online uh, uh, because we had television access. And so of late, I've had conversations with the owners of TV20, where we were on for the seven years, about bringing Heart of the Matter Mormonism back to uh, TV here in Utah. And I explained to them, even though we are on, have a national presence today, uh, it really doesn't mean much if we're not here in this state. This state is the key to Utah, to reaching out to right where it's happening. And uh, she agreed. So I also said, hey, if we want to start TV20, uh, Heart of the Matter, back up, I won't say anything about evangelical Christianity. I won't need to. We do it here in our own studio, and we do that every week. And so, but yesterday I was informed that the, 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 the response was from those involved altogether, a meeting was held, there is no way Sean McCraney should ever be allowed back on television here in Utah. Now, so here we have a multi-billion dollar religious conglomerate getting 70,000 young men and women to steep themselves in social media outlets every day of the week and our little hour-long program can't get itself on TV in the state of Utah because of people don't like me or of some grudge or something like that. It absolutely is astounding how little true Christian principles exist among Christians. I don't get it at all. Uh, there was no fallout. I, I, it's astounding to me. I promised, I said, by contract, I won't talk about Christian churches. We'll just talk about Mormonism. It was one of the most effective tools. We've seen thousands come out, and yet um, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So pray for us and for them. Uh, in fact, we're going to do that right now. Lord, we uh, pray that you'll be with us tonight as we talk about tonight's new topic. And uh, as we kind of touch on it, open up uh, people's hearts and minds have dialogue through the phones, and we just pray that we'll be able to 
do something meaningful in our topic. Bless our volunteers and those who are searching for truth that you'll be able to reach them through uh, whatever uh, means necessary um, and that you can use us to do that, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked for a few weeks about the elements of doing church right, so to speak. Uh, I have maintained that the soteriology of a faith um, typically dictates the methodologies that churches will employ to do church. The example we used is if churches believe that it's just the Jesus experience and once saved, always saved, doesn't matter what happens thereafter, then you're gonna have a church experience that's like that. Come in, worship Jesus, do that quickly, get out, and it's done because it kind of reflects your soteriology. We also talked about the churches that believe that saved by grace through faith and and you continue to remain, you, you continue to abide in the vine by grace through faith, those churches will be more proactive in discipling their members and bringing people together and teaching them the word and things like that as they carry on through their walk. Tonight, we're gonna embark on one of the most incendiary topics among Christians and churches and pastors uh, that they face today. And it's a role, uh, and it plays a role in how to do church right a bigger role than you might think. Uh, and we're gonna really give it a good shot, but tonight we're just gonna kinda open it up and get you to start thinking about it. Because it's such a hot topic, uh, rife with opinions, I would suggest that there must be ways to approach Christian music and Christian worship uh, that are good, applicable, and that are bad and not applicable. So. Remember, the whole point that we are doing this to evangelical Christianity is we are leading people out of Mormonism and anybody else who comes to know the Lord, they step out of their former church or they step out of the secular world, they walk into a Christian church and they find the church doing this. And this is how the church does their worship. What does that person think when they see it? Are they enlightened? Are they uplifted? Are they brought in? Are they uh, uh, repulsed? So this is part of the whole thing as to why we're doing it. Uh, what should be avoided? Based on what, you might be asking me. You might be saying, we're all free in Christ. There is nothing to be avoided. There's nothing to be outlawed or shunned. Uh, God reaches to people in every way. Who do you think you are that you could suggest, have the audacity to suggest worship or music should be done this way, but not that way? And uh, first of all, I'm nobody, and I mean that literally. All I have are opinions, but I try to base the opinions on what I've seen and what I experience in reading the Word. There has to be something that the Word tells us in how we should then operate as a church. Otherwise, it is a free-for-all. And if that's the case, fine. Let it be a free-for-all. Bite the heads off doves or do whatever you want. That's not happening. But do what you want because it doesn't matter. But if it does matter, what is it that matters? What are those things that are necessary to really bringing in worship? What does even worship even mean? And I would suggest you probably rarely have gone to a church, even if you're a church hopper, where they truly are worshiping in the biblical sense. And we'll talk about what that is. So last week after we had somebody call the show and he asked, what is your opinion of modern day worship? And I talked about some of the things off the cuff. And uh, in light of my opinions expressed, we received an email. It's from a guy named Kev. He has watched the show for a while. And so I'm gonna use his email to kind of springboard us into the topic. 
He starts off, quote, I'm a bit perplexed by the things you have said regarding Christian music. He put it in quotations. I do not understand your obvious disdain for it, end quote. Okay, first of all, Kev, uh, what is it with the title of Christian music that you put in uh, quotations? Is that music that Christians listen to? Is it music that Christians make? Is it music that talks about Christian things? I'm a Christian and I don't listen to it. Uh, I'm a Christian and I don't make it. And I'm a Christian and I find that much of what it speaks of are not, they don't reflect in my heart or my understanding of the word. So how does it, how has it been given the title Christian music in this day and age, especially in American evangelicalism? Is it the official music of the Lord? Or is it what American evangelicals have embraced and then called their own and heaped it upon everybody else and all the major churches trying to be uh, uh, relevant are embracing it and then employing it and that's how it works? Is that, what, that, is that what it is? Is there also a Christian automobile out there? I mean, if there's Christian music, I think there should be a Christian automobile and probably Christian floor plans for the home only two and a half baths and, and, and three bedrooms because that seems like it's the Lord's way to do and build a home. And Christian articles of clothing, Christian deodorant. I mean, where does it end? It's all, you know, these, this is Christian music, right? So look, Kev, we all have personal tastes. We all have affinities to things that we like, certain aesthetics that uh, appeal to us shall we say, we have resistances to certain things that we find unattractive or ugly for whatever reason, even if they're not to another person, to the individual they might be. Culture, with all of its tentacles, that's why we talked about culture at the beginning of this year, has dictated and produced a type of music that has come to be called Christian music, but I'm not so sure Jesus considers it his. I don't know, maybe he does. Or maybe there's a few tunes he enjoys and the others he doesn't. I don't know. Uh, but I don't consider it mine and I'm a Christian. So when you think Christianity has music, you've made the first error in your judgment. That's the problem. It's so egocentric and so, so whatever that you think the music that is made is somehow Christian music. So therefore the African who is a believer out in the tundra, if he's not listening to that, I mean, can, can his music be considered Christian music? In fact, and as an example, let's just forget music altogether. And let's look at another art form. Let's look at oil painting, all right? Are there Christian painters out there who paint Christian art? And what does that look like? How do you define what Christian art is. Some suggest that the painter Thomas Kincaid, AKA the painter of light, uh, best represents Christian painting, all right? Um, I say shoot me in the head. Uh, am I evil because I reject the painter of light and his hobbit-like little representations of what a perfect life in some fairyland would look like? I don't relate to those paintings at all, and I never have. Am I evil? Am I not a real Christian? Do I not have real faith? Because I can't relate to the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid, and his factory? 
Can I prove my faith by the Christian art I embrace? Is Jesus disappointed with me because as a believer, I prefer Jackson Pollock to uh, Thomas Kincaid? What if most American churches, this use this as an example, sort of came together and agreed, you know, Thomas Kincaid is the unofficial painter of the body of Christ. And would that be okay? Would that be God-pleasing? Do we have to then sort of just throw out everything else and bring in what is the standard? Or do we embrace everything else and say, that's okay. This is tough stuff, and I'm kind of giving you an open shotgun approach so you start thinking about, well, that, that's interesting. Or, huh, when it comes to music, why do we go about it this way? What about all the other art out there that others have produced, and maybe more importantly, all the other art out there that others relate to? See, I can look at a piece of art and be inspired, have tears, uh, that has nothing to do with a Christian painter or a Christian subject. Can we worship the true and living God through non-Christian art forms? Do you see, this is just one of the problems, when Christians decide to apply certain art form to church and to worship, that's what I'm talking about specifically, to the exclusion of others. Can I be just as inspired and uplifted by a Van Gogh uh, if these churches hung them on their walls as well? My disdain, as you call it, is a result of a lifelong personal relationship to music at large and personal preferences for types of styles and delivery of music to an abiding appreciation for truth and all things that we see and do. And my desire to worship God in the clearest, most honest, authentic way rather than being manipulated into having to go along with the thing that's presented to me as this is what it is. When, when Mary and I went around to all the different churches in December of last year, I watched and I saw at least 50% of every audience, if not 70. And, and this, is why, this is why we were there, to watch. I saw them completely uh, detached from the experience of worship. I know some were like, okay, I can tap my foot to this, I think. There it is. And, and, you know, maybe I can clap now. They look like, you know, Steve Martin in the jerk trying to get his rhythm going. And, and I was like, these people want something more. Now, I'm sitting here in the audience. You can't see him. We have a friend named Reed. He says the answer is the black music. He says, if everybody listened to black music, you would get it right. I got to tell you, I've been to the black churches and it is arousing. But is, there, is that true? Do we just look at what each culture says? And is that the way it should work? Ask yourself these questions. But when Christianity has adopted a music, so to speak, or a style, the mistake is not so much in the music that is being presented, in my opinion, though I personally find most of it repulsive. Uh, it's the fact that so many other forms of music have been excluded uh, that inspire other people. So remember that. Kev continues, quote, you said that it's all about emotionalism, and that you can achieve the same emotionalism through Metallica. 
You continued saying the lyrics within the church should be only directly from scripture and demonstrated this practice at campus. There's nothing wrong with singing scripture, but how can you promote secular while demoting Christian? I feel this position is extreme and zealous. Should we advise against Christian writings and poems put to music while suggesting the equal from non-believers is fine? Okay, I'm not promoting listening to Metallica for people seeking God. I'm not promoting Metallica being played in church. Uh, I am saying secular music uh, uh, I'm not saying secular music should be used in church at all. That's not my point. Uh, and I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't express themselves in the art forms at all. Just the opposite. I'm promoting music that meets the biblical description of why we do church. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying to discover the biblical description of worship fit in with why we come together to do church. If what is being done currently doesn't fit the model, then we will reject it. So that's what we're gonna to try to investigate over this time. I think artistic expressions have a place in this world and from all people, Christian or not, but we are talking about a highly subjective area in music and because of its subjectivity, interpretive expressions of it don't belong in a general setting of people who also have subjective responses to things. There must be something that a common denominator we can appeal to that the old people and the young can, can look at when it comes to the music. I'm not trying to dictate and control it. I'm just trying to say something's wrong. And when I went to the 10 churches, I saw something being wrong. And so if you see that, I think uh, something could be fixed. So when Christianity has embraced, here's another thing, the elements and methods of the world which produce emotive responses and call it worshiping God, uh, someone has to say bullshoot. It's bullshoot. Uh, just because the bass has a just a giant riff and the guitar player can shred and the singer has a great range in no way means that's worship. It could be worship, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Listen, this is the problem with churches appealing to certain music types to appease and appeal to their audiences. It's all emotive and it's not one whit different than attending a rock concert. No matter how many times the, the, the name Jesus is repeated in the song, you can repeat Jesus 75 times. Thank you, Jesus. Getting quieter and quieter. Thank you, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, thank you, thank you, Jesus, Jesus. You can keep doing that. The emotion in the brain and the heart is from the same place as another concert, okay? So let's strip music from the discussion and return to our painting as an example. Both are art forms, both appeal to certain topics. A painter could paint landscapes and seascapes and still life and, and or a painter can choose to uh, uh, depict what he thinks Jesus would look like on the cross. Um, as a Christian, do you think some paintings ought to be embraced and promoted as Christian paintings over others? I'm personally awed and drawn, by, uh, drawn in to, uh, uh, yeah, Picasso. There's cubism pictures that blow my mind. They make me think of God and his creative work. Is that wrong? Or does it have to be a picture of Jesus and the cross to be uh, uh, Christian art? And what about those paintings that depict something other than Christianity? I hope you're getting my drift. 
Why and when did American evangelicalism get to carve out its own special music, its own lyrics, its own style, its own delivery, which is, which is unanimously applied in almost every place, and call it Christian music? When did it happen? Why is it used? It should never have happened for church. Can and should Christian people write music? Sure. It should be played by all means. There's people who love Christian music on the radio. The lyrics inspire them. And Christian television, we're on, we were on Christian television. Fine, those things are part of media. They're part of art. That is just a segment of it. But when it comes to bring it into church, we have a different thing going on. This is the line that we have crossed and lost. And we don't care what everyone else thinks. You will be sub subject to this type of uh, of worship. All right. So painters who are Christian ought to paint, poets who are Christian ought to pen poems. And when a church or Christianity as a whole has a type of style of music that is even called Christian music, we have a problem because it doesn't automatically appeal to all Christians. Same as calling uh, a certain political party the Christian party. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely incorrect according to the Bible. There is no Christian political party. There's no Christian car or diet. Uh, no, the, this argument, among others that will come, will show us the form of music and how worship is biblically presented and then ought to be applied. More on this in the future. Kev adds, if your concerns lie with the industry itself and their greed for money, I can relate. Oh, that's good, Kev. It's good you can relate to that. We had a band that is pretty noteworthy come to town and another band who was kind of hanging with them told us that you know what a writer is? A writer is a list that you, a band will give uh, to the people who are taking care of them when they're in town. This writer was 32 pages long and it was prefaced by this. We know this is a long list of demands, but all to the glory of God, right? You know, we want, we want brown M&Ms only. We want beds stuffed with down only, but all to the glory of God, right? It's all part of the con. It's part of the big machine that has, 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 has pumps out money for the entertainment business. That's fine. Keep it there. You want to do that? People want to pay money to do it? Fine. I, I, don't, I don't begrudge you. But when it comes to church, that's what we're talking about. Where do you draw the line? Kev adds, but, he says, if it is with Christians expressing God, biblical beliefs, personal Christian struggles, justice or mercy, or even the worship of God put to music, then I do not understand nor believe that your teachings are sound at all. Okay, Kev, uh, the way you have expressed yourself here is problematic. Here, here it goes. That's why we have the book to show us how to do things. You have expressed, listen, if a Christian is expressing God, biblical beliefs, personal Christian struggles in their music, then that should be okay for the church setting, all right? Um, what if I, as a Christian, which is a highly subjective approach, we all have a different way, and it's not that the gospel's different, but we are different. And I decide to write music, which is gonna be a highly suggestive, uh, subjective approach, and I decide to express myself in the way I relate to God and what really strikes me in my biblical beliefs and how I pull from that. Uh, so uh, is it okay if I write some songs and will the church play them? Oh, sure it is, really. Okay, so I write a biblically-based song about uh, my lust for whorish women. It's a biblical tenet. 
okay? Or let, let's say I, I uh, write about uh, uh, polygamy. Boy, it's great to have 50 wives. <laughs> How about that? That's biblical, right? And having these wives leads me to the Lord because the stress is so heavy. I mean, can we just write about anything because it's biblical? Does, and is my interpretation the one that works and the one that everybody else listens to and has to try to clap and get along with when they walk into a church? Isn't there a better method of worship and what worship really is when it comes to going into church and seeking God and worshiping Him and not ourselves and trying to reach Him through how we feel and think about Him rather than how we feel about ourselves when we hear the music? Do you see the difference between the approach? This is the point. And what if I put the music to death metal jazz? Would that be acceptable? I mean, where does it end, you see, with a subjective application of how we see the world versus how others do? Here's the point. If I did that, my death metal jazz tribute to polygamy should be rejected. It should never make its way into the church. If I can fill a stadium with paying customers to hear me play my death metal jazz tribute to polygamy, fine, go ahead. You have to answer to God, I have to answer to God for that. But to bring it into the church is a different story. I hope you're getting the point. I don't think for a moment secular music that I like and that leads me to worship God on my own should be used in church any more than the music you enjoy ought to be heaped on me or others and called worship music. This is the reason. So the whole point is we have such a diverse group of people. We have Mormons here in the state of Utah and they come out and we get their emails. Where should I go? We'll try this church. They write back. I went there. Oh, you wouldn't have believed it. There's people, they, they were just going crazy in there. They're not used to that. I mean, and why were they going crazy? because it was, that's how they felt, and they wanted to express their feelings, irregardless of somebody coming and visiting for the first time. So there's no set standard. Everybody does what everybody wants because they feel it, and it's selfishly applied. That's not worship, my friends. What is it? What is worship for? What are the best methods of accomplishing its purposes? Are there slippery slopes to avoid? Have we as a church gotten on a slippery slope in the 1960s when the hippies said, you know, we're gonna start writing our own music that relates to how we see God. And they brought in, they brought in simply put, um, uh, Jerry Garcia's sounds, and it started off that way. And before long, Striper came in in the 80s and Striper had a number one hit. And pretty soon it became an industry the way all things that men do. It becomes all about the money. It comes all about the fame. It become, and, and, and then we have people standing in churches because that's been accepted and they are doing their show. And then we have amplification beyond extremes. We have bass lines that are really pumping. We're mimicking the world so we can reach people the way the world reaches people. And then we have the fog machines rolling and we have the light shows rolling and people are having emotive experiences and they walk out and say, wasn't the worship great? It was, it was so good. But oh God, I hate it when the pastor started talking about the Bible. And that's what happens. That's what's happened. You can say I'm wrong, you can disagree with it, but it's absolutely true and it's a fact. 
The guy, let me just read one more thing and then we're going to go to the phones. Uh, I can't remember the number. We'll, they'll put it up on this. Oh, there it is. 590-8413. Kevin goes on. He throws this in. How do you feel about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? I don't know where this came from. You have said that ministers should not be promoting personal injustices in this fallen world. This leads me to wonder your views on Reverend King. If you feel he was teaching in error, then I can see where you would not be supportive of thought for thought songs about injustice, mercy, and the love of God. Well, let me just answer this and we'll go to the phones and the emails. Uh, line one. Oh, we got Kev. Uh, he's on the line. So we'll, we'll go to him. Kev. Stay on the line. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, was a man, uh, influential man, great orator, one of the greatest speeches, almost cry every time I hear, uh, I have a dream. Uh, he was a sinful man, bottom line, because he was a man. And what he did outside of the church as the reverend, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see that in any way, shape, or form being anything but a Christian man doing something he believed needed to be done in the face of this world. Was it a Christian activity? No, not in the least. We are not commanded to do what Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King did in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're led to do something like that as a Christian, fine, but that is not the Christian call. So when you bring him up, it's not Christianity at work, it's a Christian doing works. And those, the, what he did, in my opinion, were not Christian works, even though they were good. It's just like the Mormons, they do a lot of good works, good social redeeming works. Are they Christian works? Christian works are sharing the gospel, the salvation message, and then going, yes, and feeding the poor and all those things that go along with that. But the, we do what Jesus did, who is the father of Christianity. What did he do? And how did he live? And what did he teach us to do and how to be? And that's how you would live your life. Okay, listen, uh, phone lines are, we're, I'm gonna skip all this because we got the source of the email on the phone, Mr. Kev. Uh, guy, he said a lot of things, but maybe we can come back to it. Kev, you're on the air. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you. You're in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That is correct. Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals. So, so what's happening? Not much. Uh, <laughs> it is a pleasure to be on your show. I love your show. I love your ministry. Uh, I stumbled with upon it basically during the elections and uh <clears throat> i too actually agree with most of what you've said tonight please don't misconstrue uh i i know the the email was a little bit uh, uh formal maybe uh but i was just trying to get at what you were i agree as far as church is concerned as the worship service. I have been in your place, and yes, I was raised evangelical, and I have basically stepped away from uh, many of their customs. I also agree with you when it comes to different uh, fighting homosexuality and fighting these causes that, that we have created. Uh, I'm in total agreement with that. When I put the, the, the Christians in quotation, that basically did not mean 
your typical Christian music that is pumped out of the Christian pop machine that comes out nonstop. What did what, what what were you kind of referring to, Kevin or Kev? Pardon me. What music were you then referring to? Anybody, because you can call yourself, you, you can be within the Christian recording studios and companies and call yourself a Christian and have Christian radio, but I see that Christian actually encompasses a much larger field than that. I do too. Like I said, you could include Johnny Cash for that, as far as I am concerned. Me too. Uh, you can include many people who are searching for the truth, have a heart for God, and which most of that music would be pushed aside by the church. And I'm not talking about inside church. Please, please don't get me wrong on that, that issue. Let me jump I in. You, Let me jump in really ahead. quick. I'm sorry then because I maybe I read into the email. I have no problem with Christian people expressing themselves in Christian themes in any art medium at all. It's just in the church, Kev, that I was talking about. Oh well, then we are. We agree. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I do want to clarify the Reverend Martin Luther King thing. Yeah. Uh, if if. When you read the whole email, you'll notice I asked, asked if you were a King James version onlyist. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, there was there was a reason for that. Yeah, uh, particularly the word for word, and then <clears throat> just trying to get an idea of where you were coming from as far as how that the written and audible word of God can reach, and then what methods that they can reach other people. Yeah. That was my question, and, and maybe I, I I strung it out too much. No, but it's it. But as far as I totally agree, I have moved originally from Michigan to Alabama, the heart of the Bible Belt, and I've actually had a hard time finding a church that wasn't politically motivated. Oh my! Highly politically motivated, and the religious right has their hands in every church in this area. Every single one. I don't know how you do Everyone. it. Everyone. Kev, you know, I spoke in Alabama last summer, and when I was done, I was talking about the election and Romney, and uh, I, they, I literally had a guy stand up and say, you're a plant for Obama. And I, all I was doing was teaching the truth about what the gospel is, and it is not political. So I agree with you. Let me what? ask you a question, Kev. What do you think what? is a solution when it comes to the music scene in churches today? Are you there? I am. I I'm sorry. Cut out for just a second. Uh, the solutions for music within church today? Yeah. Do you have an idea of what would what would fit in with what worship really is, how it is manifested, and how it comes out? Well, I can, I can tell you based on this, that we should be worshiping in spirit and in truth. Uh, and that is something that I am failing to find anywhere that I go. Me too. Uh, I, I have struggled with it. I don't know where to go. 
I just want to add just a, a one th We did the exact same thing that you and your wife did. We actually attended eight churches. And, and, and now this was back toward the election that, that time of, uh, of last year. And every one of them preached sermons on voting for Mitt Romney. It's amazing. And I am Democrat. I'll just let you know. And not, not, not that it matters, because I'll vote for whoever yeah. I feel God is leading me to vote for. Right. But I, I cannot stand up and battle against other people because of their sinful ways or their sinful... Because I have sin. Right. I battle with sin. What is my sin and their sin? There is no difference. That's right. If... But I'm sorry, but as far as the solution, uh, you are absolutely right. Uh, that is why I have been drawn to your ministry, prosperity teaching that you have taught. Uh, and I am so ashamed of the evangelical church because they are directly behind what has happened to you on the television station. Yeah. Uh, and... I have seen that sweep the churches throughout this area. Wow. This prosperity gospel. Now, some of it is watered down. Yeah. Because they know that not everybody is just going to accept that. But as far as that is concerned, we need more word with inside the church. We need more scripture taught. Amen. Instead, instead of all of these other gimmicks that they have to try to draw people in, um, gimmicks i would agree hey kev you know what i've decided i'm i'm repenting right now i'm repenting for the for the attitude i had toward your email you're a far better speaker than you are a an emailer and i love uh, i love you you're a man I, I i could sit with and and eat fat food and have a beer and talk about the lord jesus all day long absolutely all right man I, Thank you, I Kev. Apologize if, I apologize if I got that kind of... Never. I, I was really just picking at your, 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 your mindset there. I got it, my friend. Thank you so much for calling, Kev. Thanks, Sean. Okay, talk to you later. God bless. God bless you. Isn't that nice when you meet somebody that you just really get along with like that? We've met some... Yes, amen. Applause from the audience for Kev out there in Bama. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's really good because you can hear his heart. And that's an interesting lesson, too, is emails, they can't really give you what people really mean a lot all the time. So I think I've gone around accusing a lot of people of bad things when they didn't mean anything bad at all. My paranoia. I guess I need to repent of that, too. This is from Eric. He says, I've enjoyed watching HOTM online. I have an LDS friend, and the way I'm going to minister to him is by talking about our commonalities. Uh, the commonalities that the body has with Mormonism and see if we can build ground on that. And he says the big thing that he sees uh, and what they do right is their missional efforts, how they do those, and their big focus on sharing Mormonism, even if it's a false gospel, how they are really big on sharing that with the world, and how they believe in being ethical, loving to others, helping others, all those things he adds. And he says, what do I think of? Is there anything else? What do we have in common with the LDS? 
we have the fact that we breathe. Uh, we need food, shelter, intimacy. We have those things in common. We love our children. They love their children. Uh, we care about their well-being. We care about our well-being of our family and spouses, etc. But here's the thing, um, and I've discovered this over years of doing the show. Mormonism is a very paradoxical. They're, they, they're a dualistic, they're a morally dualistic religion. And what I mean by that is if it comes to the church, morals are lost. The church takes precedence. Let me give you an example. If you are married in the Mormon church and your spouse becomes an unbeliever, divorce is permissible because the church is not being held up first. Uh, if you uh, were uh, Christians take a huge stance on uh, abortion uh, and you never, ever, ever have an abortion in any cause or case, and I'm not going to even step on that one right there with my opinion of it, but bottom line is uh, the Mormons say, listen, you can have an abortion for these reasons. Christians are out there screaming, it's murder, it's murder, it's murder. Mormons say it's murder unless these things happen, then it's okay to kill the baby. So uh, you have divorce, you have uh, issues like that. Um, you have um, business ethics, very interesting. This is the fraud securities fraud capital of the nation. And so uh, there, as long as the church is first and the church is getting its tithes, uh, they turn a blind eye if you are involved in dubious business practices. For example, if I was a lowly member in the Mill Creek Ward and, and I opened up a bar on Mill Creek, 33rd Avenue uh, Street, I would be probably called in and said, you know, we don't think that is becoming of a member. But the Marriott Center, where the apostles spoke from last week, uh, has, uh, they provide the greatest amount of alcohol and porn to the nation and world. And they're LDS owned, founded and owned. So it really, there's, there's a paradox there with their morality. And so I would suggest that there's not much commonality there. Really what it comes down to is there's a lot of similarities between Christianity and Mormonism in methods, but there is very little connection between motive. The motives are very different. And that's why it's tough to start trying to build bridges with these things because motives are entirely different. That being said though, most Latter-day Saints who are active don't see themselves as being part of a duplicitous uh, uh, religion. You go to any neighborhood Mormon family, they're gonna think we live good moral lives and we would never cheat and we would never divorce and we don't believe in abortion and they're pretty, st but overall the doctrine allows for this kind of, uh, uh, Freedom, if you want to say it, within the morality. So it's tough. I would be careful um, in how you do it. Okay, listen, uh, we, we have a caller. Oh, we, we have somebody online too. Listen, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to approach music in the church from a reasonable perspective. And we're going to address the things that come with that relative to culture and um uh, and uh, why you do it in church reasonably. We're gonna talk about a logical approach to music, meaning uh, worldly appeals. Do they belong in the church? Should a fog machine be rolling while Jesus is being praised? And what's the purpose of that? And then we'll talk about emotionalism and, uh, and we'll talk about worship. 
And then we're going to talk about the slippery slope of how music has evolved or de-evolved over a course of time where it began years and years ago, just a cappella. There's a church in Scotland that only sings the songs a cappella. They don't believe in the instruments. And then we've gone to a little windpipe, and then we've gone to organ or piano, and then we've added, you know, a stringed instrument, and then we've added horns, and then drums, and then we added the plastic thing around the drummer uh, so that, you know, it could all really look cool. And then, uh, and then from there, you know, we started adding lights so you could see the actual sticks hitting the drums, and then the, the uh, acoustics became important, and staging became important, and a PA system, and then video visuals coming up so you're not only hearing you're seeing pictures of what Jesus should look like I guess and rivers rivers are in almost every Christian song I'm not sure what that's all about rivers 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 and and nature with the music and it's emotive and you're in it and yeah Jesus God and God but is that what worship is we have to look and see do you know that the the Greek word for worship is proskunio and you know what that means down when we first thought of doing campus, I thought, you know, every time we, uh, we sing uh, the, the word, we should be on our knees. The Catholics do it. I think that's, that's worship because that's the real meaning of the word. And yet, you know, we don't, you know, we say it in the song. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. No one bows down. It's the biggest con. It, it's like, it's, it's, I almost, it's like, it's like uh, religious masturbation, man. It's, I can say that. There's no kids in our audience. It's just not, there's something off with it. And it's all about me. Here I am to worship. Uh, come, now is the time to worship. Does that have to be the first song, first of all? Does it have to be the first one that's played? Because you can't say it later. You're in the middle of worshiping. So it's like the, it's like the okay, now's the time. And, and it's like a concert. I don't get it. It's like, we will rock you. Queen, we are the champions. I don't understand. I sit there like a dog looking at a skyscraper. It makes no sense how they put that thing together without opposable thumbs. And yet, it gets fed to us, and you just sit there. But there's such a large portion of you who are like, I'm not getting it. Uh, this doesn't feel or seem like worship of the true and living God. And then we're going to talk about the biblical thing of uh, worship. Then we're going to talk about principles relative to self and selflessness and hypocrisy. And then we'll talk about the music itself and the themes and the style and the delivery. And we're going to bring out some of the words uh, from some of the most uh, interesting Christian songs. We're going to go to, uh, it looks like Bob in Minnesota on line one. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Just fine. Hey, uh, you got a really good talk tonight, and uh, I was a Mormon for about 30 years and left the church, and uh, uh, just besides their history, uh, one of the items that I thought was interesting uh, was I was in service a couple Sundays and noticed that they were singing praises to Joseph Smith. And that was one of the things that put like the icing on the cake. I think it's like hymn number 27, and, and there's other ones uh, relating to the prophet where they're singing praises to him. And I thought, whoa, you know, there's something wrong here. Isn't that amazing? Yep. They used to have a, a, a billboard here off the I-15 freeway in Salt Lake, and it showed a picture of Joseph Smith, and it said, praise to the man. 
I mean, we took pictures of it and showed it on the show. It is amazing. It's completely different worship, completely different uh, approach, and man is huge in it. You know what, Bob? Also in Salt Lake, there's a thing. I don't think it goes on. You tell me if it's going on in Minnesota, uh, but here in Salt Lake, it's really an interesting cultural deal where they will rent billboards and they will put a person's picture up there and they'll talk and he's obviously LDS and they'll say, uh, John Jones, fantastic humanitarian, loving father, tremendous philanthropist, we will miss you. There are these billboard attributes to men who have died. Do they do that where you live? I haven't seen that, but I'm in kind of a rural area. We're near, uh, uh, we're quite a ways from the Twin Cities and stuff. So uh, even though there's lots of uh, uh, different uh, wards and stuff around, uh, I haven't seen that in a billboard here yet. I don't see it in California. I don't see it in the places I've gone around. This is the only place I see it. And it's part and parcel of the Mormon faith, man worship. If you go to their cemeteries, you see the same thing with the man worship. Very interesting stuff. Is that it, Bob? Yep. Hey, thanks for watching and calling, my friend. Thanks so much. Okay, see you later. Yep, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Listen, we have an email from Steve. He says, listen, if you're going to go after things that are done in churches today, you've got to reveal, expose the false teaching of pre-tribulation rapture. This is such a huge fallacy that has spread like a disease through so many churches, including the big ones. Some of you are like, what? What are you talking about? Everything's pre-trib. Of course it's pre-trib, et cetera, et cetera. I came out of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, taught pre-trib, believed pre-trib, stood against uh, for pre-trib. I don't believe it anymore. And I had, I've had people criticize me. You know, you're changing and things. Well, you learn more. And as you learn, is it wrong to change? I'm sorry, I'm gonna. I don't care what it is. If I find out that there's truth somewhere that I haven't embraced, I'm gonna embrace what I think is right at that time. And that's all God can expect of us, right? So pre-trib, post-trib, all those millennial things we will get to. We're gonna get into a discussion about hell and the eternality of hell. That's gonna be another one that's gonna rock your socks. And just to see how you approach that and what the facts are and what is up, left up to conjecture what you think about that. And then we have somebody here. This is uh, an email from Steve or from Ron or Steve. I can't tell which. He says, listen, you got to talk about Bible versions. I go to a church. Which version of the Bible do I use? Uh, uh, do you use the King James only? Do you use the NIV, the ESV? So we'll talk about Bible versions. And is your church dogmatic about what you need to use and how that would work? Okay, uh, got that one. Uh, I recently discovered you are NRB and you're going through some archived episodes. This is from Larry Stange. Uh, I'm especially emboldened. You've recognized the core evil aspects of Mormonism are also prevalent in so-called evangelical self-professed Christianity. We're getting more and more of these. And I think people are starting to kind of see a little bit, a few. Both of them are the same father. Uh, He goes on, nothing's changed in 2000 years. Got to stand up for it. Thank you for that one, Larry. I'm going to skip that one. And then I wanted to include in this show tonight, uh, the early Christians is to kind of uh, wet the primer for the shows to come. Early Christian metal bands, Barnabas, Daniel, Jerusalem, Petra, and Resurrection Band. Does anybody in the audience raise your hand, recognize any of those bands who've been Christians? 
So we have not a head, we have a head nod, but not a hand raise. Seth, oh, Seth recognizes them. These were early Christian metal bands, and now we've also had glam metal and hard rock, uh, Audiovision, Baron Cross, Blessed by the Broken Heart, Blood Good, Blood Good. We're Blood Good, man. Um, we have Pillar, we have Neon Cross. <laughs> I mean, and then there's Striper included in this. Striper, they had a number one uh, uh, platinum album in the 1980s. And the name of that album was, I have it written down here, uh, To Hell with the Devil. <laughs> uh, and uh, really took off. And you know, the, the hippie movement churches really bought into that one. And then we have extreme metal bands, Seven Horns, Seven Eyes, and uh, The Famine, and uh, Hoary Frost on the Head, and <laughs> Places of the Skull, and Sacrificium. Uh, of course, up there, just, it's like, uh, what was that movie that is so classic about rock? It's a bad show tonight. Um, it's like that, you know? If someone should do a documentary of these bands who are doing it for Jesus and their names and their approach and all that. It's very interesting to see how it comes about. Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Yes, someone's got to do a Christian. This is Spinal Tap. I will buy it, I promise you. All right, well, I think we've wrapped it up for tonight. Alan Cheney's wife of 35 years is now watching, and she says she loves the spirit. And Kev uh, loves the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, uh, Sister Cheney out in Colorado and Alan. And listen, we love you. Go to www.hotm.tv if you want to watch archives of the evangelical shows or shows on Mormonism. Uh, you can also go to bornagainmormon.com if you want to see our kind of approach to reaching Latter-day Saints with the good news of Jesus Christ. And then you can go to campus, www.campus with hyphens in between the letters. And there you can find uh, some uh, uploaded uh, online teachings where we do verse by verse here at campus. So keep us in prayers. We love you. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Good job, audience!